0: teaching is from Wayne this morning. Wayne and Julie, my apologies. And uh, I'll be reading from Deuteronomy 8 uh, verses 1 through to 14. So if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to, to read along with me. Be careful to obey all the commandments I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of of the Lord. It's actually Yahweh. I'd like to chuck in Yahweh. Am I allowed to say Yahweh? Okay, thanks. Um, From the mouth of Yahweh. For these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent parent disciplines a child, Yahweh your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commandments of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For Yahweh your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the hills and valleys. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise Yahweh your God for the good land that he has given you. But this is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you don't forget Yahweh your God and disobey his commands, regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have come, become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful, do not become proud at that time and forget Yahweh your God who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Thanks Wayne and Julie.
1: Good morning, everyone. How are you? Have you, um, have you been enjoying the daily Bible readings as they've continued to Pentecost? Yes? Yeah, good. It's, um, it's quite an incredible journey, the one from Egypt to Mount Sinai. It's, uh, we were just praying this morning about that and just saying, Lord, it's just so amazing actually how rich that journey is. In knowing you, watching how you deal with things, seeing your character on display, seeing ourselves in the story (laughs) as the Israelites. Um, Just a powerful story and one that is really worth unpacking. So this morning we're going to do a little bit more on that.
2: We are. Who'd love to do this as a pilgrimage? Walk from Egypt, across <laughs> the Red Sea, through the desert and the wilderness, and up across the Jordan into into any, the Promised yeah. Land. Anyone got yeah.
1: any idea how many kilometres that trek is from Goshen to from Mount, Mount Sinai?
2: Mm.
1: Sorry. Close five or six hundred. Actually, it's more. About seven hundred. 700
2: kilometres. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's quite a way, eh? From here to where?
2: North. How far <laughs> is Cal- Kalgoorlie? 600.
1: 600, um, so it's further.
2: So it's further than Cal. Yeah. Norseman. Get, we get to Norseman, would we? Yeah.
1: Next family holiday.
2: <laughs> there we go. Are we there yet? <laughs> oh, Yes. Yes. The, the big uh, thing we want uh, to take away from this morning, and want all of us to take away, is what's on the screen behind me. The, this comes through in the reading from Deuteronomy. The uh, instruction to, to remember, to obey, do not forget. Uh, what's the difference between remembering and do not forgetting? Well, if you remember something, you haven't forgotten it. Isn't that good? If you forget it, you don't remember so uh, there's not much difference. But it, but it is interesting because it specifically says, remember, obey, do not forget. And uh, there's a capacity in all of us to forget things. And so the need to retell the story, to remind ourselves of the story, if you like, um, some of the Some of the things you might hear around today, people talk about the meta-narrative. Who's heard that phrase? The meta-narrative? Yes. So the Bible really is the meta-narrative of Western civilization, but uh, very clearly. And it means that, that the Bible has influenced so much of the writing and what has been done in Western society for thousands of years. People have been peering into the scriptures for thousands of years and still seeing new things and learning new things. Obviously, uh, there's been people coming and going. But we read what people have learnt in the past. We build on that. We all grow and we develop. So here we are. We're in this process, as Julie said. We're travelling from Passover to Pentecost and counting the Omer. And it's this period of repentance and transformation. And, re- and that is one of the things that we believe very strongly That God actually wants to do when we when you look at what happened at Sinai and also when you um, look at what happened in Jerusalem, a key word in both those places is transformation. God gathering people for transformation. And so think about that for yourself. Think about, Lord, what transformation do you want to do in my life in this season, and and hunger for that. Say, God, do that work. Transform me in the way that you want me to as we journey up to Sinai Jerusalem. Yeah, and Jerusalem. This to say is something? not
1: just yeah, this yeah. is not just um, us looking at this story and going, Wow, these these are incredible things, this is great, this is awesome. But it's more than that new life, because God has specifically spoken to us at this time. And we Wayne and I began to share that a few weeks ago and then it was in the lead up to Passover, and we're continuing. And uh, my, my encouragement to many, um, to myself, uh, and we ourselves are processing this and asking God to encounter us. Yeah. In the days of the counting of the Omer. Mm. In preparation for what he wants to give us. Do you know, there's, there's a now application Let him who has ears hear it. And so our encouragement is enter in, engage. Hmm. This story is not just a story. It foreshadows and it teaches us so many things. And when God speaks directly in a season and says, I'm leading your hearts to repentance because only he knows what's in our hearts and what he wants to bring us into, then we're taking notice of that. We're taking notice of that, and that's what these readings, these readings, um, uh, daily readings. If you're not in the daily reading loop, just email info at new life, okay, and um, you can you can get added in immediately. Mm. Um, in fact, actually, we've we've had requests from pastors of other churches asking us to <laughs> yeah. if they can come into this as well. So it you know there's there's many people actually counting the Omer and there is a sense there's a growing expectation in our state I'm sure it's across the nation that that God is at work in us and he wants us to see it and by faith to lay hold of it it takes faith doesn't it because otherwise we listen to things like this and we go oh yeah and God is wanting to awaken our faith It was hard for him to awaken the faith of the Israelites because they were so burdened with all their own stuff. The slavery, the oppression of slavery. And he did many things on that journey to Mount Sinai before he encountered them as a God who is to be worshipped, as a God who has drawn a people to himself and then says, will you obey me?
2: and when we tell the story what, part of what we're meant to do when we're walking through this story of Israel is to understand that the story of Israel is actually our story it, it didn't hap, we didn't actually walk through the wilderness in the way that they did but this journey that God takes them on is, is we all are on a journey with God and so we see ourselves in the story and we ask ourselves, where am I in the story? Where, what, where am I in this narrative st- story of Israel in, as they journey out of slavery towards the land of promise that, that God wants to give them? So one of the things important to understand is the book of Deuteronomy, where does, how all that comes about, okay, because... Uh, so, the book of Deuteronomy happens in where? Who knows, the, who knows where the book of Deuteronomy happens?
1: You mean where are the Israelites? Where are the
2: Israelites when the book of Deuteronomy happens? They're in the wilderness. Exactly where? <laughs> where are they?
1: Yes.
2: Yes, the bank of the Jordan River is the perfect spot. About to... If Getting ready. Looking at Jericho. <laughs> so they're staring across. So they camped there for, the, for six weeks. And a lot happens in this six weeks. Uh, and the book of Moses t- recounts the journey, really, of the last 40 years. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is doing. It, he, if you think of it as a six-week conference, um. On the banks of the Jordan River, where Moses is reminding you of telling the story because he's not going over. He's led them for 40 years. He's about to die. And he does die on that side of the river. And then and but there's the succession plan that unfolds, and and Joshua becomes the, the successor appointed by God to lead. So Moses dies on that side of the river then Joshua leads the people over. So that's the context for which to understand that what's, what's going on, that uh, Moses is telling them, is reminding them. And I'm getting older. I'm older than I've ever been before in my life today. And... Uh, and you realise, the older I get, I realise how important it is to keep reminding yourself of where you've come from and to keep reminding the people that you're leading where we've come from and where we're going. Yeah. So, and because, your children. And your children. Well, this is the whole thing. Because what you remember is that Moses has been leading them for 40 years. He's about to die. And actually... These ones, by the Jordan who are listening to Moses, were born in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb, they're the last two remaining members of the generation that actually came out of of slavery in Egypt. So this is a generation that have grown up. They have not known the, the reality of the bondage. In Egypt, but obviously the stories were told to them. But they're a generation, they've actually grown up in the wilderness and they're about to go into this land and take possession of it. So these are some things that are important to keep in mind as we go through. So so that's the context of the book of Deuteronomy that's unpacking. And, uh, but give us some more background, Julie. About the journey.
1: Yeah. Look, you guys know I, I like looking into the, the context and the history and looking at maps and, and putting things together. So I want to just share a little, a little bit around that, some of the findings, because for me it, uh, it helps to create the story and make the story. Um, it makes sense of it. So this um, map here, uh, this is obviously yeah, www.bible.com. Um, ca it's a great map now there are people who have been researching um, the location of Mount Sinai there is a whole lot of history there's a whole lot of research and I just simply want to say to you that um, many biblical scholars have shifted in their position traditionally okay for the last 1600 years Mount Sinai, this arrow here on the left.
2: Not 1600.
1: Yes. Uh, 1600. Uh, yeah, 1600. Actually, since the monks, the desert monks... Um, right. Uh, in, w- ...were living here, there's actually a monument that's been built there.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's in 30, uh, 325 AD. And so that there, you can't see the word probably Mount Musa, but where that red arrow is. That's traditionally in the Sinai Peninsula. That's where um, Mount Sinai has been thought by Christendom to be. Okay? In recent years, and due to a lot of research, this red arrow over here, Mount Sinai, many scholars are now saying this is where Mount Sinai is in Arabia, Saudi Arabia, And the Arabian word for it is um, alors, okay, mountain of almonds. Now, there's a lot of history around this, but I want to take you to the scriptures because archaeologists have done digs and all kinds of research, um, but there's actually a lot in the Bible that points to this. I don't have time to, to go into it, but I'll say this. Remember when Moses... The Bible tells us in, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters God in what way? Can you remember? How does he encounter God? The burning bush. Well done. The burning bush. Where is the burning bush? Mount Sinai. Did you say that? Or Backs, Mount Horeb, which is backside actually... Backside of the desert. Which is, Mount Horeb. Yep. Yep. What's he doing when he encounters the burning bush? He's looking after his father-in-law's sheep, isn't he? He's 76 years old. He's a sheep herder. Remember, he's fled from Egypt at the age of 40, and he's out in the wilderness now. Probably thinks anything significant is all done with in in terms of his life. He messed up, and now he's going to be a sheep herder for the rest of his life. Well, he's out in which desert? The Midian Desert. Does anyone know where the Midian Desert is? Is
2: that's a great deduction. It's, in, it's a in casual Saudi comment. Oh, it's over here. would be in the Arabian desert. <laughs> yes.
1: Here you go. You look it it's up in your here. Bible map. Yep. That's where Midian is. If you do a search on Midian,
2: <laughs> that's where they all put it. So it would make sense, wouldn't it? When God says you're going to come to this mountain to worship, that it be in that spot.
1: Do you know when you read descriptions mm-hmm. of the crossing of the Red Sea, yeah. like it, there's in Isaiah... Ezekiel um, I mean so many in the Psalms there's these incredible descriptions of you know the horse and rider being thrown into the sea and all this stuff right and they they sang this great song okay other prophetic uh, other prophets also describe it and they always talk about the depths of the sea and the vastness and how the Egyptians were they sank to the bottom of the sea and they were drowned well look the traditional crossing place is up here. Can you see that? That's Egypt up here.
2: By the word Egypt. If you
1: All see right. the
2: word Egypt on the map. That,
1: which is the top. This, this is the Gulf um, uh, of Suez. This is the Gulf of Aqaba. This is the Red Sea. Do you see how it feeds up like that? That's That's the geography. Up there, there's sort of these shallow marshes and a multiple shallow lakes up the top. And that's typically where people think that they crossed over. But when you read the scriptures, you see that they didn't cross over until they had wandered in the wilderness in a roundabout way. Do you remember that scripture? Exodus 17. Now, there are other, many other convincing proofs, including archaeological digs at this site, which puts it over here. They saying, well, so what? <laughs> Who cares whether it's there or there? Well, it's actually quite significant, uh, and it's important to understand what the scriptures are actually telling us. Um, and oh, and another one is um, uh, actually uh, Paul in Galatians chapter four. He talks about Mount Sinai being where? Arabia. Arabia. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> Good on you, Diva. <laughs> it's it's that's right. Mm. Over here. Really interesting, isn't it? Mm. Okay. There's th- like I said, there are many other verses. Don't have time this morning. If you want to read about this, Joel Richardson has actually written a small book. And you can download it from his website. It's called Mount Sinai. It's got pictures and everything in there. Okay, you can read it. There's also another gentleman called Stephen Rudd. And he's written a book called Exodus Route Restored. No relation to Kevin Rudd. Exodus route restored, and and these, these are these and others. These these people have searched this out, and searched the scripture. So there we go. Um, important because a it matches the biblical narrative and what we know in scripture. Also important. Um, Uh, also important because we can then track their journey and understand how they got to be where they were at certain times. All right, so looking at this... Oh, actually, we'll go to the next map. All right, so now this is looking at the same area of land from a different perspective. So this... Sorry, can you flip me back to the first one? George, thanks. Thanks. Okay, so that one that's coming after this is showing you now this sweep. And this walk here from Goshen, they come all the way down. And I'm going to read this verse to you in a minute and explain why they do this. They don't cross over there. They come all the way. This is the roundabout way (laughs) to where God is taking them. Where is he taking them, by the way? Where are they actually... Where's the destination? The promised land. The land of Canaan, which is... Israel. Okay? In modern, which is Israel. And it says in chapter... Let me find the verse. Chapter 13, it says... God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. So destination is Israel, but if they go along the main road along the Mediterranean Sea, they're going to encounter some vicious Philistines and lots of them. And so God says, even though that is the shortest route to the promised land, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way, (laughs) very roundabout, through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So remember, this is Red Sea, this is Red Sea, Red Sea. Red Sea feeding those two gulfs. So he leads them down here. And many biblical scholars now believe that this is the point of crossing over. This is right at the mouth of the Gulf of Aqaba. Do you know how long that was? Like kilometres. That crossing. We think of you know we watch those movies right, and the waves, off they go. It looks like about 500 metres. 19 kilometres. 19 kilometres, 3 million crossing over. (laughs) That was amazing. With walls, (sighs) the sea parted, literally. And they cross over. Now, they travel, actually, for 17 days. From Goshen down to here... Is 17 days. And then God takes them on a little detour. Because why? They have to kind of stay put. But they have to stay put for, for eight days. But what's going on? What's God doing now? He's the great strategist. For eight days. The scriptures tell us. He's luring. He lures the Egyptian army to come after them. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently in those days they used those Homer pigeons, you know, those pigeons that fly with messages. And there is actually an Egyptian watchtower right there at this place down here. So Stephen Rudd, for instance, believes that they sent messages. He's sent messages through the pigeons. Pharaoh, hitch up your chariots. They're trapped. They got the sea on one side, got mountains on the other. Come and take them. So, and the Bible tells us that, that this was a trap. God is luring Pharaoh and his army because he's got another victory that he's about to engage with. Isn't this an incredible story? Amazing. And that's what happens. Now, on, with their horses... And chariots, it took them a lot less time. It took the Israelites 17 days to walk it. To walk it in 17 days, they were moving at a pace of 29 kilometres a day. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Can you imagine taking your kids on a 29-kilometre journey every day for 17 days? We won't complain anymore, will we?
2: Well, it was like a walk in the park.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is interesting. This is interesting. They cross over, and then the Bible records this journey on that next slide there, this one. They cross over. This is up here, the Straits of Tehran. They cross the Red Sea on day 25. Wilderness of shore, Mara. All these different things. You can say those geographical locations. You go, oh yeah, that's when they cried out because they didn't have water. Right? Different things. Oh yeah, that's where they cried out because they didn't have food. Oh, that's where the Amalekites, that battle. And they held up Moses' arms all night. Because basically, it was all about Moses' intercession. When Moses was interceding, they won. Incredible, incredible things. All of this. What do you think God's doing? What is he doing? Teaching them. What's he teaching them? To trust him? To trust him? <laughs> He's, it, so these signs and wonders didn't just stop in Egypt with the plagues. It carried on because God was leading them to where? Mount Sinai. The place where he told Moses, Mm -hmm. when you get them out, this is where I'm going to lead you.
2: I'm going to meet you.
1: I'm going to meet you there, this place, and they're going to worship me.
2: Hmm.
1: Right here. Mount Laws, they're going to worship me. Hmm. There's going to be an encounter. And I'm going to say to them, you didn't know me in Egypt, but you know me now. You've seen what I've done for you. It's my plan that you be my treasured possession in all the earth. It's my plan that through you, the nations of the world will see me. Will you covenant yourselves to me? Will you be holy as I am holy? Will you obey all the commands and the decrees that I'm giving you today? And we wonder, we go, we shake our heads and go, how did they, how did they just like forget everything God did for them? Like yesterday <laughs> or last week. How do, I mean, we're talking miracles. But the same question can be asked of us. Yeah. How did we forget How did we lose perspective of all that he's done for us? Will you worship me? Yeah, you don't understand stuff. Yeah, you think God doesn't see you. Yeah, you think you're missing out. He hasn't heard your prayer. Why, why, why? We're just the same. May the Lord prepare our hearts to be able to receive him in the way he wants to be known and deserves to be known. Amen.
2: One of the things that really strikes me as we contemplate this is God's much more interested in the journey than the destination You under, in that thing because it's this he takes them just as he takes us on a process where he wants to form something in us so he, he tells us the destination and without projecting my own issues on all of you I'm like great Fastest route possible. We're going to get there. Uh, that's how I've always wanted God to work in my life. Like God says, go do this. I'm like, yep, bang, I'm on it, God. And He's like, whoa, 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 just hang on, not that way. It's like, well, this is the quickest way. This is the most logical way, God. The shortest way is here. It's a straight line. God goes, yeah. Well, He doesn't quite say it like this, but I've worked out. He says, it's all right, Wayne. Trust me. Follow me. And then we go on this other path that takes a lot, lot longer to get there. But along the way, I learned so much about God. My trust in him grows. I also learned some things about myself that I didn't know that he knew and he's put me in situations where those things have come up in my heart that, uh, that were there so that he can, he can deal with them. And if I'd gone, the, if he'd taken me the straight route, similar to this thing with Israel as well, there's a whole lot of things they wouldn't have known about God and they wouldn't have known about themselves either. So many things that God forms in us. And, and this is what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 8 to them. And if you've got the text still open there, he's, he's saying to them, remember God's leadership. That's the overarching thing that he's doing here. It's like, remember God's leadership. Stop and think about it. It's not, just, it's not just go, oh yeah, that's right, God's been leading us. You know, I got that, tick, you know. Next question, next issue. It's like, no, stop. Stop. Think about it. Contemplate God's leadership. And then he begins to unpack that for them, that how he's, he's led them. He's humbled them to test their character. Wow. Oh. We all, we all love humble pie, don't we? <laughs> Chokes in your throat as you swallow it. But I tell you what, the opposite is worse. Pride's so destructive in our lives. Remember we follow the humble king. Remember we come to Philippians 2. The uncreated God who humbled himself and took on flesh. How can we not get that to become like him requires learning humility? And for proud, independent human beings who have said in their hearts, we will do it our way, God, those lessons don't come easily. And so what does God do? In Israel's situation, he, it's like he let them go hungry. Well, that's a bit mean, isn't it? But you wouldn't do that to me, God. You wouldn't let me go hungry, would you? So that I'd learn to trust you, so that I'd learn to humble myself before you. Well, maybe He would. And these are the things that Moses reminds him of. God humbles them to test their character. And what's God after? Moses tells, reminds him. What God was after was, God wanted to know if you would really obey him. Because remember they'd said, yes, we'll obey you, we'll do everything. You said, Exodus 19. Well, this is on the way when they get to Sinai. They do all that. And they very quickly abandon that, by the way, which, which we know. But this thing of like, the question for all of us is, am I, am I committed to obey God in everything? Am I committed to obey God if it costs me something? What if it costs me the thing that I love the most? What if it, what if, what if it costs that which is most nearest and dearest to me to obey God? Think of the story of Abraham when he's told to offer Isaac up. He doesn't know how the story going to end. And nor do we. But what if God asks us to offer up the, the thing that is most valuable to us? Because he's wanting to know if we really obey him. Have we really learned that we can trust him? Have we really learned to rely on his character in all situations? And the way you learn to rely on God's character in all situations is go through a bunch of different situations. Go through a whole lot of different life experiences where life is difficult and hard and there might not be food and you have to learn to trust in him and you might be confused about which way to go and all of these kind of things. But he's testing us, he's forming us, he's shaping us so that we learn to trust him. I'm just thinking of things like offence. I've met many many people and heard many stories of people who uh, have left the church and some have even left Christ because someone in church said something or did something that hurt them, wounded them and they're offended and so they're never going back to that place but what if that was actually God's process to test your heart to see if you would trust him even though you were wounded and hurt. Because remember, we're following a Messiah, a king, who was mocked, scorned, falsely accused, all of these things. So the idea that that's not going to happen to us is a fallacy. And my risk, God's always going... Respond the way of Christ in these things. It's really sad when Christians are holding unforgiveness or people who name the name of Christ carrying around bitterness, carrying around offence, carrying around unforgiveness. It's like, and they wonder why they still feel like they're in the wilderness. It's because you haven't learned the lessons. We haven't learned the lessons. We haven't humbled ourselves before the Lord. God wants to find out if we will obey him. And Moses reminds the people, God disciplines us for our good. Wow. Isn't that so important? So yeah, I was important. just thinking, of, yeah.
1: yeah. Hebrews. Mm. And also he disciplines the ones he loves. He loves. Mm. And it's a sign of sonship. Mm. It's yeah. a sign that we belong to him. So when he's disciplining us, that's confirmation, isn't it? Yes. That's confirmation. He's at work in me. Mm. He loves me. Mm. He's leading me on a journey. Mm. I need to pay attention. Yes. I need to have his perspective on what's going on.
2: Mm. It's really hard as a child. You know, um, thinking back to my own childhood and my godly mother, who truly is godly, and many of you know her. That's not a facetious comment, just in case some of you think it is. Um, but uh, she would apply the rod of learning, the rod to the seed of learning, as the as saying goes, you know. Uh, she would uh, take a wooden spoon and a few taps on the rear end to remind me to behave myself. At that time, I wasn't thinking, oh, thank you. My mum loves me so much. (laughs) I wasn't thinking that. When I was disciplined in school by my teachers, I was not thinking, oh, this is so good for me. I'm so grateful that the teachers care enough about me to discipline me and to shape and form my character and go on through through my life. But it's this reality of like the one who, if we do... it truly is. The parent that doesn't care about their child doesn't discipline them. And then they wonder why their child's got all sorts of problems at school and no, one, no friends and then they go on and they become an adult and the same thing, they can, they can never make any friends and keep any friends. No and, and problems exacerbate. So we need to understand this.
1: That's really interesting. Can I just pick up on that comment? Because a lot of parents would say, no, I love my child and, and that's why I don't. Discipline them. The question is, what does it mean to love? That's what we have to work out. And if you think that to raise a child without boundaries, to raise a child without the knowledge of consequences, right, and what is right and wrong, and how to live in relationship with people, that is... None of us would say that that is loving that child. Is it? No. So yeah. I think that's the... That's, and, and that's how God is with us. That's exactly how he is with us. And when we are erring somewhere down a path that is not going to go well for us, he is going to bring us back. And right now at this time, right now in this room, I'm just sitting here listening, and it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, respond to this. Humble your hearts. Know that I am God. And repent of accusation, repent of grumbling. Repent of a lack of trust. It's not, it's not worthy of him. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And it's going to keep you in a place that's going to frustrate you. We were praying this morning together and we were saying, Lord, bring breakthrough. Let the power of your word this morning bring breakthrough. Because it's the truth, Jesus said, that sets us free. And this story is loaded with truth. And if you think you don't know God, make it a study for the next 12 months. This journey. The truth will set you free.
2: So I'm going to bring this to a close with this question: as we think about this phrase, "to remember, obey, and do not forget," it's the question of: have have we forgotten God? And that can look in, that can look different ways. It, one of the reasons why God we well we believe, we've come to see one of the reasons why God gave. His appointed festivals to his people to celebrate him in his story and what he's doing is part of the process of remembering. And walking through the Passover festival every year, the Pentecost festival, the Shelters Tabernacles festival every year is part of remembering, part of reminding ourselves of God's story, that we're part of that story. We're on that journey and that reality. But within that meta-narrative, we all have our own personal story. And one of the things that I want to encourage uh, all of you to do is tell your story. Make sure you... Okay, let's start with the parents. Parents, have you told the story of God's grace to your children in terms of where you were before Christ? And then how, where, when Christ found you and how the grace of God has been working its way in your lives and, and why you are raising your children in the wonder and the knowledge of the Lord because to live in his grace. Do they know your story? That's so important. Tell your story. Some of you are first generation Christians. So, uh, you want to, you want to tell that story. This is where my life was and then Christ found me and I surrendered my life to Christ and this is what he's been doing. And this is why I care so much about you as my children, knowing him for yourselves. I want you to understand the magnificence of his grace and love and I want that legacy to be passed on. So make sure your children know your story. And so that they can tell the story. So, in the way of we we tell God's story, we rehearse it through the biblical festivals. Uh, Make sure you you are passing on God's the story of God's activity in your own life. Share it with friends as well as family. It's so important. And that was one of the things when our, our sons were younger than they are now when they 're growing up, and we would we would tell them the story of god 's activity um, god 's prophetic activity in our in our lives in our marriage and, and as they 've got older we 've told them more about the generation above us as well, and they 've come to see that they stand in a generational lineage, and now they are passing on the story to their children and so we 've got this thing but uh, we we understand the grace of God broke into our family lines. God revealed Himself uh, to our to generations above us, and that, and He's kept doing that. And they, need, your children, need to know your story. So that's a good thing to think about. Have you told your children your story of where? where you were when God met you
1: and how miraculous it is yeah. when God does break into a generational line where there is, mm. you, you can't even see four generations above you where anybody yeah. has known or loved Jesus. Mm. And then the hinge of history turns, turns. Yep. and God takes your life. And he says, if you will love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's a blessing that I'm now going to bring Mm. to your children and your children's children. Mm. And he simply says, trust me and I will do this.
2: Mm.
1: And if you're the first one in your family line, you can expect battles. But remember Mm. that God has given you victory And if you remain faithful and follow his commands and never lose sight of him and keep your eyes on him, Mm. wisdom will be justified by your children. Mm. Amen? Amen. But be patient Mm. and don't give up. Mm. And don't forget. And keep obeying. Mm. Walk that walk of faith. And you will receive a crown from Jesus himself. Mm. Amen.
2: Amen. Mm. Uh, One of the other warnings that Moses gives them is this one about don't forget the Lord. Uh, And he talks about how they're going into this land and it's filled with all this abundance, which they haven't known. Because remember, these are kids that have grown up in the wilderness You know, they've heard the stories of slavery and deprivation in in Egypt from there, from the previous generations. But you're going to go into a land and you're going to have all this great stuff. And in that place, there's a a vulnerability of forgetting the Lord. And we see this played out. And I read a great quote the other day that that said that uh, there's... What's the one thing that parents of means cannot give their children? That's a question. What's the one thing that parents of means cannot give their children? Because you've got economic security. What is the one thing you cannot give your children? And the answer is necessity. They don't know what it is to need. Because you make sure they got everything and more than what they need. And that got me thinking, actually. That quote got me thinking. I'm like, wow, yeah. The gift of necessity is so important. How do we help our... How do we... How do affluent Westerners help our children appreciate need?
1: One of the hardest
2: things to do, it's, isn't it? It's a very, you know, because we we want them to have everything we didn't have, but actually, one of the things we can't give them is necessity, and that's probably the thing they need to learn most: how to trust God's faithfulness, God's provision, how to see that. Right now, remember, they're going rec- to the, the Israelites are going to go in, and they're going to receive all this good stuff, which is from God. But there's a vulnerability if you've got all this stuff. And you forget that you still need the Lord. And that's really what he's doing. So another question to close with is, how do you respond when God doesn't meet your expectations? How do you respond when the Lord doesn't give you what you need? What you, what you think you're entitled to, what you think you deserve, all these kind of things. When when God, in his wisdom, actually declines your request, your repeated heartfelt anguished request how do you respond how do you how does what does your heart do towards the Lord do you go into accusation do you go into whatever accusation against God I mean do you go into hardness of heart or do you say God I trust you you're good and if you've said no to this you're good you are good, and it 's for my good that you are saying no to this request, which brings us to the final thing that Moses tells them to do to praise the Lord or to thank and so one of the things to think about is what do I, do I spend more time thanking God or complaining that's that 's a neat simple one am I spending time my time complaining or am I spending my time thanking and if I was to do a survey of my friends, all the people that I've spoken to in the last week, if I was to ask them to say, did I, did I spend more of my time talking to you? Was I complaining or thanking? That would be an interesting test, wouldn't it? For us all to do. <laughs> like, well, because if the, if the answer comes back, actually, if, if you really want to hear the truth, you spent most of the conversation complaining. And letting that penetrate us and go, actually, that's not what I want. I want to be someone who lives with thankfulness and gratitude and praises God. And so these are some of the things that are important for us in this season as we continue the journey. The worship to, team can come forward. Yep, just as is to keep is to keep this process that God's been taking us on of repentance and searching our hearts and saying, Lord, test me in the way that you tested Israel in the wilderness so that I will know you and you will know that I will obey you. Hmm.
1: So Mount Sinai is the place of encounter. It's the place of worship. It's the place where they go. Well, where God tells them, you're no longer slaves. You're my treasured possession. That's not so easy to hear when you've been a slave all your life. And there are slave drivers in our lives. Mm. And the Lord is saying, you must turn away. You must repent. You must believe that I am God that I love you, that I've paid the greatest price, I've done everything, and all I've asked you to do is respond to that. And yet so often we live with a slave mentality and that doesn't honor him. The Bible calls it a sinful and unbelieving heart. Today, if you hear his word, don't harden your hearts. That's what it says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. The only way to go from being a slave to a son is to trust. So simple, but it's one of the most resisted things I feel in the body of Christ that's a sad thing to say because we're talking about people who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And yet we entertain doubts and accusations and mindsets that the Lord tells us, the Bible tells us and teaches us, tear that down. Make it submit to the knowledge of God. So do you know God? That's why this story is so important. That's why the whole Bible is so important because it is a revelation of the Father's heart. Mm -hmm. And we either turn towards Him or we turn away from Him. We either repent or we cling to pride. Mm -hmm. And we just go on. As we worship to close this morning, Mm -hmm. let's imagine we're on Mount Sinai. When Moses encounters God and he's saying this is holy ground, take off your shoes, I'm about to speak to you and he requires a response.